Hello, 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 and welcome back to Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. Thank you to everyone who was hanging out with me on the pod's Instagram page for the Oscar party. I appreciate that. Some of you were crazier than me. I was very surprised. Aside from the Oscars, I do want to talk about what I have been watching this past month. Everything from The Dropout, The Boys, Righteous Gemstones, uh, Is It Cake? Lots more in between as well. I'm also going to throw in some streaming news at the end. It's been a while since we had some streaming news. And some really exciting stuff is rolling out, so I'm pumped to talk about it. As always, the timestamps will be in the pod's description box, so you can jump ahead wherever you like if you'd like. We have so much to talk about, so let's just roll into it. Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. Now, on with the show. I finally have the iced toasted vanilla oat milk shaken espresso. God, Starbucks truly has the longest names. I like this drink. It's got a hint of sweetness, but like I predicted, it tastes like literally everything else on the menu. Obviously not the refreshers or anything like that. Like, don't be silly. But all of it, especially when they're hot, they all just taste the fucking same to me. This doesn't taste exactly like the brown sugar shaken thingamajig. It's like the baby sister who's stuffing her bra to get to the big sister brown sugar shaken espresso level. I'm not mad at it. It's doing the job just fine. Okay, now we really need to shift to the Oscars because I, we, us, as a unit, we need to talk about this. We're going to start with the slap because obviously that was the talk of the night, unfortunately. If for some reason you're living under a rock, I assume you're not. I assume you know exactly what went down. So I'm going to give a very brief description. Chris Rock made a G.I. Jane joke towards Jada Pinkett Smith. G.I. Jane was a character that was bald, played by Demi Moore, for fucking ever ago. Jada did not like this joke. She openly struggles with alopecia, so that's understandable. Uh, But Will Smith went on to the stage and bitch slapped Chris Rock. Everyone that I was talking to, it was sort of this moment of, is this real? Is, is this fake? Is this a skit? I knew when they started blanking out the speech that this was 100% real. Then I was thinking, are they going to remove him? He's a sure bet to win Best Actor. What are they going to do about this? He was not removed. He went on to give his speech because he did win Best Actor for his performance in King Richard, a fantastic performance, by the way. Richard Williams was a fierce defender of his family. I'm being called on in my life to love people and to protect people and to be a river to my people. I know to do what we do, you got to be able to take abuse. You got to be able to have People talk crazy about you. In this business, you got to be able to have people disrespecting you. And you got to smile and you got to pretend like that's okay. Denzel said to me a few minutes ago, he said, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Um, thank you for this honor. Thank you for this moment. And thank you on behalf of Richard and, and Orsine, the entire Williams family. Hoping Academy invites me back. Thank you. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't feel one way or the other because I'm not going to be the pot calling the kettle black. I would do far worse for far less for someone I loved. If that was someone making a joke about my man that I didn't appreciate, I'm crazy as fuck in that situation. I'm disgustingly, ferociously protective to a fault. Not saying that's okay in this incident. Was it like a stupid dad joke? Yeah. Was it funny? No. Was it in bad taste? Yes. Did Will Smith need to go on stage and slap the shit out of Chris Rock? No. Can I understand why he did it? Yeah. Do I care about any of it enough to write fucking dissertations on the internet about it? No. It was really crazy in the moment, but like, I don't care. I moved on from it after I went to bed. What I'm really pissed about is that this has overshadowed Will Smith's performance. It overshadowed the Williams family story, the King Richard movie as a whole, all of the legendary wins that happened tonight. 
No one's talking about Troy Kotzer. No one's talking about Will Smith's performance in King Richard. Nobody's talking about Jessica Chastain and her incredible speech. And you know what? I want to shed some light on that speech. Right now, we are coming out of some difficult times that have been filled with a lot of trauma and isolation. And suicide is a leading cause of death in the United States. It's touched many families. It's touched mine. And especially members of the LGBTQ community who oftentimes feel out of place with their peers. We're faced with discriminatory and bigoted legislation that is sweeping our country with the only goal of further dividing us. There's violence and hate crimes being perpetuated on innocent civilians all over the world. And in times like this, I think of Tammy, and I'm inspired by her radical acts of love. And I'm inspired by her compassion. I see it as a guiding principle that leads us forward. And it connects us all in the desire that we want to be accepted for who we are, accepted for who we love, and to live a life without the fear of violence or terror. For any of you out there who do, in fact, feel hopeless or alone, I just want you to know that you are unconditionally loved for the uniqueness that is you. Nobody's talking about those moments. Nobody's talking about how a deaf person won for the second time in Oscars history. How a streaming service has won Best Picture for the first time. What that means for movies, what that means for cinema. I'm just overhearing about it. I don't care about that part of the Oscars anymore. Let these men handle their own grown folk business on their own. It's not our business. I don't care. So let's just move on from that and get into the meat of the Oscars. Starting with these hostesses. And forgive me if any of my commentary on the Oscars is messy. I've only taken like two word notes and I'm just kind of going off a whim here. Okay, so the hosts were Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, and Regina King. I don't know if I've ever talked about how I feel about Amy Schumer, but I think she is a venomous poison that I'm constantly being force fed. I don't think she's funny. I think she's annoying. She's a joke stealer who has the audacity to take the jokes, but then doesn't even make it funny. She just doesn't go away. She's like a fucking cockroach and I'm like over it completely. I don't know how she got this gig, but whatever. Wanda Sykes is a legend. She's hilarious. I love her. She did a really great job. And Regina King, I thought was great. She seemed a little bit nervous, but other than that, it was fine. Dune was the big winner and that was so fucking cool that a sci-fi movie sweeped like this. It won sound, cinematography, visual effects, music, editing, and production design. All of these technical wins are so deserving. It's a stunning film. I was very grateful for those wins. I was also very grateful that The Power of the Dog only won a single category, and that was Best Directing for Jane Campion. It seemed like she was the favorite from everything else I was listening to. I really figured out I am seriously an unqualified nobody when listening to these people talk. But then again, they got the majority of things wrong. I don't know, man. Maybe I am qualified to talk about this shit. Ariana DeVos won for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for West Side Story, which is so fantastic. Again, I wasn't a big fan of that movie, but everyone seemed to say she was a shoo-in for the win. She's a queer Afro-Latina, and to see that representation on the largest platform in film is amazing, so that was really cool. Encanto won Best Animated Film, and on the topic of Encanto, the best performance of the night, and that is a very low bar, was also the most confusing performance I've ever seen in my life. And I witnessed the 2009 Lady Gaga VMA performance, okay? I thought that was never going to be topped. I was wrong. And if that wasn't strange enough, it wasn't nominated for anything. It was just a nod to the film. Because yeah, it was huge. It was huge on TikTok. They wanted to, I don't know, be hip and trendy. They thought that it was, I don't don't know what they thought. I can only imagine that their target audience was the audience of Encanto, and they performed this at like fucking 10 o'clock at night. The only people watching the Oscars at that point were the same people that never, ever want to hear that song again. They have been ripping the hairs out of their head watching their toddler dance and sing along to that song for the 6,000th time today. And if that wasn't (laughs) fucking strange enough, Meg the Stallion hops on for a feature. For reasons unknown, maybe because she's like the cool it girl right now and they wanted to boost ratings. I just don't know. Back to the winners. Drive My Car won Best International Film, of course. Cruella ran home with the costume design win. 
Belfast won original screenplay. Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, won Best Documentary, and Questlove gave such a beautiful, powerful, emotional speech. It moved me so much. I'm so happy for him. I think this is just the beginning. He's already a legend, right? But this still is just the beginning. He is going to branch out into even bigger heights. No Time to Die won Best Song, which I think we all saw that coming, even though a lot, a lot of people were betting on Beyonce. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. She gave a really great performance on the uh, Compton courts that Venus and Serena would play on. And everyone in the performance was wearing this beautiful, bright tennis ball green. I thought the performance was stunning. I was also confused how she was going to make it to Compton, back to the Dolby Theater, whatever it's called. Not the Dolby, whatever the fuck the theater is called. I'm convinced she went by helicopter because uh, the traffic, not even a police escort, is going to get you there that fast. Makeup and hairstyling went to the eyes of Tammy Faye for the incredible generations of transformations on Jessica Chastain. And speaking of Miss Chastain, of course, as I mentioned earlier, she won for uh, Best Actress for the Eyes of Tammy Faye. There were some wins that just left me feeling so emotional and so joyous. First, Troy Kotzer won Best Actor in a Supporting Role. And as I mentioned earlier, he is only the second deaf actor to ever win. The first winner was the woman who played his wife in the film Coda. She won many, many years ago. His speech killed me, absolutely killed me. He's so funny and charismatic and he spoke from his heart and it was just so beautiful to watch. And just when I thought I couldn't be any more weepy, the crowd did the ASL clap for him. I am about to lose him right now. Just thinking about the moment, my eyes are welling up. A legendary win, a deserving win. I am so happy for Troy Kotzer. Coda also won Best Adapted Screenplay, and that's when I knew, or at least I had an inkling that Coda would win. The writer Sian, I believe is her name. Again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Easily the best dressed of the night. She looked fabulous. She had this skin-tight disco ball-looking dress. I saw it and immediately wanted to wear it to Walmart with my Star Wars Crocs. Fabulous dress. Then, of course, Coda took home the biggest award of the night. Best picture. And I know I sound a bit redundant, but as I mentioned, this is the first time a streaming service has won Best Picture. And if you didn't know, Coda is an Apple TV movie. And Apple, I've been looking into it, they have a big year coming. You are going to see some star studded shit. It's going to be crazy. I think this is just the beginning for Apple. Some random side notes. The In Memoriam was refreshing, I have to say. I know some people found it in poor taste. The only thing that I was confused about was why Bob Saget didn't have a section of the In Memoriam. Otherwise, it was very uplifting, almost like a celebration of life rather than a mourning. And I feel like for a lot of the people that were being honored, for example, Betty White, I think they really would appreciate that. And I think for us watchers, like the entire fucking world, we've been through so much. Like we are so tired. We are tired of being sad and depressed. We are fucking tired of it. And obviously a tribute at the Oscars isn't a fucking fix or even a band-aid for anything. It was just really nice for me at least to have that breath of fresh air like, oh, okay, my heart doesn't hurt right now. I have two minutes where my heart doesn't fucking hurt. Oh, I also forgot to mention, it's going to be so randomly placed here, but Denzel's face when Will Smith won the Oscar for Best Actor that made his win totally okay. First of all, I think Will Smith 100% deserved that win. I watched King Richard a few days ago and I was blown away by it. It was a beautiful movie. I think that based on his performance, the award was extremely well-deserved, but seeing Denzel crying while Will was accepting the award, it's definitely a moment in TV history that I'll never forget. Another random bit. This is just gonna be like the bits and bobs of things that were left over in my brain the random end notes that I have. There were these fan polls that were, they didn't make any fucking sense. It's almost like they thought we don't watch movies or I don't know. I don't know who was voting for these, but I think it was fudged. The cheer moment had clips from like The Matrix and Dreamgirls and that was fine. But where I got confused was when they showed number three and it was the Avengers assemble moment in Endgame. Excuse me? Number, number three? Uh, what, what could possibly be number one? 
Then number two was the reunion of the three Spideys. And I was like, I am confused. I could see if Spidey beat Endgame because the movie just came out or, you know, that brings together different blah, blah, doesn't matter. Number one was when the Flash enters Speed Force. I'm sorry? You're telling me that the fucking Flash entering Speed Force is more of a cheer moment than Steve fucking Rogers, our Captain America, assembling every a fucking Avenger that we have ever known while calling Milnor to his hand. You're fucking crazy. You're out of your fucking mind. No. So that was stupid. And then they had like the fan favorite movies and Army of the Dead. I don't care. That one, the cheer moment, the fucking Speed Force thing, that threw me through a loop. On a positive note, I really liked the theme of the Oscars. I thought it was really cool to have anniversary reunion presenters. I thought that was fucking amazing. It was really cool to see like the Godfather reunion, the Pulp Fiction reunion. And then something kismet happened. And I am convinced that it happened only for me. The universe heard me, heard my plea and brought together Elliot Page, J.K. Simmons and Jennifer Garner for a Juno reunion to celebrate 15 years. Oh my God, it's been 15 years since that movie came out. 15 years since it won Best Original Screenplay. I still think it was robbed. I think it should have been nominated and won far more categories, but you know, I'm biased. I, I, I get it. But and however, that was just for me. That was the universe saying, we got you. We know this is what we're going to do to make up for it. And I was so happy. It made me feel so warm. And honestly, aside from the fucking slap, whatever, I, it was a good Oscars. I thought it was. It felt really warm and fuzzy. It felt sort of familiar. The films were all pretty good. It didn't feel totally out of touch. I feel like we're getting somewhere with the Academy. Finally, we have a long way to go. We have a long fucking way to go. We are still, you know, in the fucking trenches, but we're getting up. I'll be happy when the films, the actors, the directors, the producers, the costume design, the the entire cast is more diverse and when horror films are properly recognized. That's all. But overall, I really loved it. I know, I know. Call me corny, but I thought it was a good, a good show. I thought it was beautifully produced. All right. That took a lot out of me. I want to talk about some of my recent watches. I have a handful. I think I kind of like this format, just saving till the end of the month to give you a roundup of what I'm watching. If you want more recommendations faster than that, you can always just follow the pod's Instagram at NCQH podcast. I post a lot more of what I'm watching sometimes, even what I'm not talking about in the podcast. So just in case you care. But what I have been watching is a real mixed bag, and I will not include any spoilers for any of these shows or movies. I think I've watched some movies. I think these might just all be shows. I don't know. I forget. But just in case you want to give any of them a watch, I won't ruin it for you. I want to start with the hottest show on television and, in my opinion, the best show on streaming right now, The Dropout. The Dropout is a drama miniseries on Hulu that chronicles Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes' attempt to revolutionize the healthcare industry after dropping out of college and starting a technology company. If you don't know who Elizabeth Holmes is, you are where I was about two months ago. I had never heard of a Theros nor a Nos. I thought Elizabeth Holmes was a country singer. I had no idea. But when I first heard this story, I was blown away. And then really oddly, it kind of happens a lot for me and I'm sure for just people in general. All at once, the story is everywhere. And I believe in the case of Elizabeth Holmes and with Theranos, it was because her trial had started and she was sentenced and yada, yada, yada. So I think that's where a lot of the hype had come from. The first thing I have to say about the show itself is that Amanda Seyfried or Seyfried, who plays Elizabeth, is unrecognizable. She looks how she normally looks. She looks like Amanda Seyfried. That was not the transformation that happened. And that's what makes this performance even more impressive. I don't recognize Amanda Seyfried as a person. I watch this show and I don't even fucking think about Mamma Mia. Not even over my head. Forget all about it. 
When I watch, this is Elizabeth Holmes. I almost call her Elizabeth Theranos. So if I call her Elizabeth Theranos and I don't pick up on it or I don't correct it, please forgive me. But yeah, Amanda got the mannerisms of Elizabeth so spot on. And that is something that's very hard to do because Elizabeth has very odd mannerisms, I guess you could say. She has this deep, intentional voice. Like, that is not her normal voice. She deepens it to a very low level. And in my mind, and I think others speculate this as well, I think Elizabeth has read a lot of self-help books and a lot of, like, stupid pseudoscience that's like, if you talk with a deeper voice, 75% of people will take you more seriously. So I think she took every self-help book available that Steve Jobs recommended or some bullshit like that, and she just ingested it, and that became her. That was her entire personality. And I'm not a doctor. I don't diagnose people I don't know. I don't diagnose people through a TV show. I don't diagnose anybody. But I do believe there's something going on. What exactly? I have no idea. Of course, we can look up traits of a sociopath, traits of a psychopath, traits of someone with autism. You could also look up someone with symptoms of fucking, I don't know, Alice in Wonderland syndrome or a parasitic fucking twin or someone with thyroid issues. You have no idea what could be causing what. We just don't know. So let's not diagnose people. Back to Elizabeth's mannerisms. She talks in a very deep voice, like say her voice level was mine, which I think I have kind of a normal to deep voice. She will bring it down to like right here. Like this is intentionally how she talks. And it almost seems uh, funny at first, like it's like she's trolling or something. But then she does this other thing, this blinking or lack thereof blinking thing. Watch any interview of her. Anyone. Doesn't matter which one. They are truly bizarre. Naveen Andrews is also incredible in this show. He plays Sonny. And Sonny is this combination of fucking terrifying and intimidating while also being deeply affectionate and loving towards Elizabeth. Both of them are ruthlessly committed to success and that's where they connect and that's how they are compatible. It's a very fascinating relationship to watch in the show. Lori Metcalf is also in this show. She is one of my favorite actresses and she just has like a little supporting role. But God, she's just fucking genius. No matter what she's in, no matter what she does, she's just funny and just full of life. Even though this wasn't a particularly comedic role, she's still fucking funny. Do or do not, there is no try. What? That's Yoda from Star Wars. Don't ever quote Yoda to anybody ever again. Science is trying. That's all that it is. You only get to really do something when you've been trying for so long that doing doesn't even seem possible anymore. So science is real. Yoda is a fictional green character who apparently knows everything in the universe except for syntax and grammar. The story is incredible. The acting is insane. The music also really captures the time as well. This all happened from mainly 2009 to 2013, I believe. And speaking of music, the sound in this show is crazy. Maybe it's just because I've been thinking about sound with the Oscars. But there was this gunshot scene and my heart skipped a beat. I thought I was fucking shot. Whatever they're doing sound wise, it's incredible. All around, it's a fantastic show. I highly recommend it. It airs Thursdays on Hulu. Do yourself a favor and give it a watch. The next title I watched was not as captivating, not at all, and that's Joe vs. Carol. Joe vs. Carol is another miniseries airing on Peacock. It's based on the second season of Wondery's Over My Dead Body podcast, and I feel like we all know the Tiger King story, right? I am not cutting my hair. I'm not changing the way I dress. I refuse to wear a suit. I've had some kinky sex. Don't tell me you never stuck your penis in a vacuum cleaner. I have tried drugs. We say no to drugs, that's right. Because drugs make your teeth fall out and you get really ugly and you don't have any friends. One of the complaints was, of all things, we were given our chimpanzees joints. He would take a picture of Carol. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol Baskin. And take her head and put it on the body of a man in a diaper. Hey, Carol, it's a voice from your past. Get me the fuck out from under the septic tank. Joe Exotic for the people of America. The show is really tacky and boring. I don't even really know how to describe it. I know tacky is a strange word, but like that's the first word that came to my mind. 
I think it's supposed to be funny. Let me actually look to see if this is listed as a comedy. That would be very interesting. Okay, it says drama miniseries. Either way, it's really bad. No matter which way you cook it, the cake was shit. I love Kate McKinnon, but I feel like this role wasn't for her. I don't know if I like her acting outside of sketch comedy. I didn't see Ghostbusters, and I think that's the only other thing she was in. So this may be a personal preference acting-wise, but I did not like the acting. The show also had this really sluggish pace as well, which is such a shame because it doesn't capture the excitement of this insane story. It just didn't make sense to me. It was a big old nope. Moving on to Peacemaker. Peacemaker is based on the DC Comics character of the same name, and the show is a spinoff from the Suicide Squad, and it all takes place after the movie, and it follows Peacemaker, a man who fights for peace at any cost, no matter how many people he has to kill to get it. This show is much better than I expected. DC is really stepping up. The Batman, too, I know that's not streaming, but that was amazing. Edward Cullen's glow up to his final form of a bat was great. Love that for him. Gotham was dark and muddy and shitty as it should be. And this, I believe, was the first DC movie I didn't fall asleep watching in the theater. I mean that quite literally. I have not fallen asleep in theaters at any time except for DC movies and Maleficent. But that was because I was on an antidepressant that was literally putting me to sleep at the wheel. I could not keep my eyes open. So I have a doctor's note for that situation. But anyways, Peacemaker is fucking hilarious. John Cena is comedic gold. I used to love John Cena in his wrestling days. I actually had a poster of him in my room until I was way too old. I didn't even have it up because I find him attractive. That's not my lane. I had it up because I felt like he was my bro. Like I felt like we were pals, like someone I could be besties with. Peacemaker is streaming on HBO Max if you want to give it a watch. But be warned, the intro is annoyingly catchy. I heard it in my head droning in and out at the most random times. Just blasted in the noggin with dad rock, mid-shower and shit. On to the next title, The Boys. Let me read you the synopsis first. Superheroes are often as popular as celebrities, as influential as politicians, and sometimes even revered as gods. But that's when they're using their powers for good. What happens when the heroes go rogue and start abusing their powers? When it's the powerless against the super powerful? The boys head out on a heroic quest to expose the truth about the Seven and Vought. I forget vote about... I watched it literally last night and forgot how to pronounce it. The multi-billion dollar conglomerate that manages the superheroes and covers up their dirty secrets, based on the comic book series of the same name. This is such a good show. I'm not finished with season one, but I am blasting through it. What I love most is how much of a mirror it is. So fucking genius. It's an outrageously accurate reflection of society's hypocrisy with really dark humor, which is my favorite kind of humor. The acting is just as good as the genius writing. If you like dark humor and raunch and superheroes and a great quality show, give this a watch. I believe it's on Amazon Prime, I think. Just be ready. The opening scene will set the stage perfectly for you. My jaw was on the floor. I was cracking up, but also like catching myself. Like, wait, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Am I a horrible person for laughing at this? Just great. Next up is the driving home to you sour film. If that introduction didn't make sense to you and you don't know who Olivia Rodrigo is, you need an eye cream and some acupuncture, my fellow elder. I think we all know who Miss Driver's License is, and this film was described as a reflection for her, like a making of the Sour album. And that idea with really anything, the making of something, really intrigues me, so I wanted to give this a watch. It looked cool. I was a little disappointed because it was more like that Ariana Grande, um, I love you, thank you, or something like that, whatever that was on Netflix. They promoted that as like a behind the scenes and a deep dive, and it wasn't like that at all. And it was the same situation with this film. 
It's definitely a concert with some anecdotes in between. And she performs in front of pretty landscapes. She performed without a crowd in, like I said, these beautiful locations and some baller outfits. And sure, that was really nice. There was nothing wrong with that. She's a great artist. But I thought and I wanted a full on fucking documentary. I didn't want a concert. I need to find more titles like that. It is always fascinating to me to see how artists think, how they work, how they create their art. Anyways, if you want like a little sour concert while you clean your house or something, this is cute to have on in the background. It's streaming on Disney+. Plus. On to the next title, Is It Cake? Mikey Day hosts a baking contest during which skilled artists create mouth-watering replicas of handbags, sewing machines, and other objects. This was just a nice, easy watch, and it's very entertaining. Mikey Day does a great job hosting. He's got the corny but still funny personality for it. The judges are also wicked cool. It's like fellow comedians as well as chefs, so I thought that made it a lot more interesting and fun to watch. Obviously, the process of how these bakers slash artists create these unbelievable illusions through cake is insane. They also make the cake taste good as well. Like, how are you making an exact replica of a Balenciaga fucking healed crock and still making the ugliest shit taste good? They don't actually make that shoe, but they make other shoes. Actually, they may make that. I have no idea. I've only seen a couple of episodes. So who knows? That might be in a future episode. It's a cute, nice little show to watch with the family. If you'd like to join the fun, it's streaming on Netflix. The next title is also streaming on Netflix. It is yet another miniseries, The Andy Warhol Diaries. After he is shot in 1968, Andy Warhol begins documenting his life and feelings. Those diaries and this docuseries take a peek behind his persona. This was absolutely beautiful and captivating to watch. Learning about Andy's life and also learning more about Jean-Michel Basquiat and their relationship was so fascinating. I didn't know much about either of their personal lives at all. And seeing Andy behind the art and how he was inspired and how he felt about things and how he felt about life and the world was really fantastic. It was such a treat. Something that really stuck out to me was that Andy wanted to be emotionless like a machine. And the director, Andrew Rossi, used voice cloning technology to recreate Andy Warhol's voice because he was inspired by that desire of Andy Warhol. The voice cloning was definitely very eerie, but it added to the overall story. It did what it was supposed to do. It sounded like a machine. Also, his diaries and air quotes were basically him calling a friend and having her document his days. Like he would speak to her and she would write. It's definitely a cool watch for sure. On to a show that will most certainly be a best of 2022 contender, Righteous Gemstones. If you have not watched this show, I mean, I don't know what's stopping you. It's worth a subscription to HBO Max. Find a free trial, phone a friend, you need to watch this fucking show. Let me give you the summary to give you a clear picture of this masterpiece. Well into the second generation of a grand televangelist tradition, the world-famous Gemstone family is living proof that worship pays dividends in all sizes. Patriarch Eli, the man most responsible for the tremendous success of the family's megachurch, is in mourning over the loss of his wife. Jesse, the eldest of the three grown gemstone siblings, looks to lead in his father's footsteps, but finds his past sins jeopardizing the family ministry. Next in line comes middle sister Judy, who secretly lives with her fiancé and dreams of escaping the gemstone compound. Rounding out the dysfunctional trio is pseudo-hipster Kelvin, the youngest of the preachers and a thorn in Jesse's side. As the family battles numerous threats to their renowned religious empire, they continue to spread the good word and make a solid buck doing it. Danny McBride. Do I need to say more? If I do, John Goodman, Edie Patterson, Adam Devine, I love anything Danny McBride does. I also have to put in a very heavy effort to not call him Kenny Powers because Eastbound and Down still has me in a chokehold. Give all of Danny McBride's catalog a watch. Thank me later. He is a genius. If you would like to watch Righteous Gemstones, like I said, it is streaming on HBO Max. A few more titles to talk about. This next one, I don't have much to say, to be honest. 
Bad Vegan, the docuseries, did not do it for me. After marrying a mysterious man who claimed he could make her dog immortal, a vegan restaurateur finds her life veering off the rails. As you may have assumed from that description, this was a very strange doc. I just gave no shits about anyone involved in this story. I also didn't buy into the absolute level of absurdity and naivety of that woman, I forget her name, the chef lady. You mean to tell me you believe a man who says he can give you immortality? Yeah, right. And I'm Engelbert fucking Humperdinck. Blue Spanish eyes. Fuck out of here. No one believes that shit. You can't even move forward after that. You cannot go forward with a docuseries or a show if you don't even believe in the premise. You don't even believe in the people. There is no, nothing to it. Horrible. Just don't even waste your time with Bad Vegan. So I don't know why. I have no clue. Well, yeah, I do. I love Gordon Ramsay. So I started rewatching Kitchen Nightmares. The US ones and the UK ones, even though I like the UK ones better. He's meaner and it seems more raw. The fucking bass is fucking raw! Fuck off you, you fat, useless sack of fucking Yankee, Yankee doodle shite. Where's the lamb sauce? Where's the lamb sauce? I'm only talking about this show because number one, if you haven't seen this show, hop to it. Iconic. But I was curious how my favorite couple from my favorite episode of Kitchen Nightmares was doing. Sammy and Amy Buzaglo from Amy's Baking Company. If you know, you know. But if you don't, let me give you a brief rundown. A throwback, if you will. Well, we have three little boys, but they're trapped inside wow. cat bodies. Meow, 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 meow. I believe that once Chef Ramsay tastes my food, as a chef, he'll be able to tell that this is what God wants me to do. The customer is not always right. If you came to eat to enjoy, then you should know what you like to eat, sir. I am going to really hurt somebody if they send back my cake. If anyone tell me that my wife's food is no good, I just tell them to leave the restaurant. I don't want them and don't come back. Seriously? Don't worry. I told them to fuck off. I will go tell them to fuck off if my husband doesn't. Fuck you, sir. Go, you motherfucker. Sir, the tip that you left, the young lady server, the owner takes the tips. Don't no, fuck no, no. with me. Yeah, I will fuck with you. Who yeah. the fuck you think you are? You little weenie, keep watching. Chef Ramsay goes to shitty restaurants and yells at dumb owners and incompetent chefs about shit food and shit attitudes. And usually by the third act of the show, they back down and it's a big hurrah. And then Ramsay is a culinary business god and save them from the depths of hell or debt, whatever you deem worse, I suppose. Now, Amy's Baking Company had a little bit of a different format. This couple had cash. They weren't scared of debt. They had a beautiful restaurant with a clean kitchen. Their concern was, quote, internet haters and bloggers, unquote, who derailed their business. Obviously, as is Gordon's routine, he tries the food that Amy makes. She's the chef. It's trash. Then over the course of the show, he learns the couple is also trash. And he walks out. The first and only time it ever happened on Kitchen Nightmares. So me being me, I like to see where life takes fascinating folks like Sammy and Amy. I spent a good three hours down this rabbit hole solely for my own entertainment. I won't bore you with all the shit I found. Just a few highlights. I came across a photo taken with Ray J and his crew at ABC back in 2015. Prime shit right there. I found some of the fucking craziest reviews I've ever seen. Some real. And then, of course, after the show, people get on there and start trolling. One Yelper said that he found a gorilla tooth, a pube, and what he believes was a fingernail in the cheese. He goes on to say that they had heated up a rubber egg toy in the microwave and poured it over the ramen noodles. Another review reads, Out of nowhere, a crazy blonde woman with crazy eyes runs full pelt towards us from the kitchen screaming, We don't serve sluts like you in here, and starts hurling cats at my wife. Now, are these reviews real or fake? You may think you know now, but after you watch the episode, you will have a very hard time deciding. Amy has her own trolling tendencies. In the episode, Gordon actually asks if she responds to the bloggers and haters. And she, without a beat, is like, yup, 
absolutely I do. No shame in it. Sees nothing wrong with it. So I wanted to see exactly what she was saying. Most of you are fat, disgusting losers. Probably none of the red shitter, red shitters, (laughs) a play on redditors. Clever, Miss Ma'am. Probably none of the red shitters on this page even have a job or make over 40K a year. Most of your icons show you to be fat overweight losers with nothing in your lives bust disgusting people. My husband and I enjoy the finest champagne and caviar wherever we so choose. We are beautiful people and we have parties with people you can't even lick their boots. And then this is all caps. You are disgusting pig people made from the slime of your own hatred at the world making you disgusting people. Stay in the basement where you belong, red shitters. You are losers. This woman is unhinged, bro. She and her husband are living in Israel and Amy is making some insta-pretty desserts that, to be fair, was something she seemed to do well, so good for her. And Sammy, her husband, is still on his old man gangsta shit. Now I'm going to read you this bio, but before I do, in your mind's eye, I want you to picture a mushroom sprouting white hair. And that's what Sammy looks like. On to his bio. OG, everyone is a gangster until there is gangster shit to do, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Sir, (laughs) sir, you steal tips from teenage waitresses and don't even have the cojones to tell your wife who is the love child of Jack Torrance and Cersei fucking Lannister that her pizza tastes like something you'd pull out from your fucking belly button. Okay, what fucking gangster are you? What gangster shit are you on, Mr. Mushroom? To just give this a bow, Sammy is such a gangster. He used the Reface app to edit his face onto a picture of Scarface. That's where this grown-ass, old-ass, mushroom-ass man is at with his sanity. That's all. Just wanted to throw in my rabbit hole findings. Let's talk about the show that I was most excited for in this quarter of the year, Human Resources. This workplace comedy pulls back the curtain on the daily lives of hormone monsters, depression kitties, shame wizards, and other creatures that help humans journey through every aspect of life from puberty to parenthood to the twilight years. This is a spinoff of one of my favorite shows of all time, Big Mouth, so it had big shoes to fill. Unfortunately, it did not fill the shoes. It was good. It was a fine show with really creative ideas and a cool premise. I just think the stories and the writing was way better with Big Mouth. I am going to rewatch the series just to get a new feel of it, see if anything changes. But for now, it's just okay. It's not bad, but it's not, it's, it's not big mouth. But if you would like to give Human Resources a watch, it is streaming on Netflix. I feel like the finale for this last show I want to talk about was forever ago. Pam and Tommy, another best of 2022 contender. Such a great show. It's complete now, so if you want to binge it on Hulu, you have my blessing. I highly recommend it. If you don't know, Pam and Tommy is a drama miniseries all about the leaking of Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee's infamous sex tape. And it's brilliant. The wrap-up, the finale was great. I talked about this show a lot in my season opener, so I won't go in too deep with this. It's just perfectly paced perfectly balanced. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's absurd at some moments. It really makes you think in other moments. You really do get a sense of how multidimensional these characters are. You understand why they're awful at times, but you're still hating on them, but you love them and you sympathize with them and you understand why they are the way they are. It's just really well done writing, really well done acting, great directing. It's just a really good show. Now let's get into some streaming news, starting with Netflix. The Netflix Marilyn Monroe biopic, Blonde, officially has an NC-17 rating for some sexual content. Director Andrew Dominic previously predicted the film, which is based on Joyce Carol Oates' novel, would get an NC-17. Defiantly telling Screen Daily in February, quote, It's a demanding movie. If the audience doesn't like it, that's the fucking audience's problem. It's not running for public office. It's an NC movie about Marilyn Monroe. It's kind of what you want, right? I want to go and see the NC-17 version of the Marilyn Monroe story. I agree with what he's saying, but fucking aggressive, my guy. Relax. 
The director also said Netflix insisted on hiring editor Jennifer Lame from Tenet to, quote, curb the excesses of the movie, unquote, which includes a sexual assault scene that was also in Oates' book. Oates' acclaimed 2000 novel is a 700-page fictionalized take on Monroe's life, which The New Yorker once dubbed the definitive study of American celebrity. Netflix has previously streamed NC-17 movies produced by other studios, such as 2013's Blue is the Warmest Color, but Blonde seemingly marks the first movie produced by Netflix to receive the hardcore rating. Netflix has not officially announced any release plan or date as of yet. Netflix has opted not to move forward with a second season of Archive 81. The cancellation is somewhat surprising because Archive 81 did break into Nielsen and Netflix's top 10 ratings for originals, and it also briefly shot to number one on Netflix in the U.S. before being dethroned by the return of Ozark. With Netflix laser focused on analyzing viewing versus cost in its renewal decisions, the number of eyeballs Archive 81 drew possibly did not meet the threshold Netflix had set for the series based on its budget. On March 24th, Netflix confirmed to E! News that an adaptation of Taylor Jenkins Reid's 2017 novel, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, is in the works. According to the streaming giant's official synopsis, reclusive Hollywood legend Evelyn Hugo chooses an unknown reporter, Monique Grant, to tell her life story. Evelyn recounts her time in the golden age of Hollywood, her rise to fame, and her seven marriages, revealing stunning secrets and lies. But through it all, one question remains. Why has she chosen Monique for her final confession? This is one of the books on my to-read list this year, so I'm super excited about this becoming a movie. I did hear some uproar about it being a movie rather than a series, so I assume there's a lot of content to dissect. But I'm sure it's still going to be good. Sometimes you really just have to accept that the book will always be better than the movie. It's just a different vehicle. Netflix has acquired yet another small gaming studio, Boss Fight Entertainment. The acquisition of Boss Fight, a mobile developer with 130 employees, is Netflix's third studio purchase since it set its sights on the gaming industry last summer. The company bought a studio called Night School in September, and this month it bought Next Games. Netflix would not say how much it paid for Boss Fight. So it's safe to say Netflix is diving headfirst into gaming with all of these acquisitions. Bob Saget's Comedy Store Memorial is coming to Netflix. Netflix viewers will get the chance to watch the tribute. That includes Bob Saget's family and close friends. Of course, some of his close friends are famous comedians, and they put on a show in his memory at the famed Comedy Store shortly after his death. One of Saget's best friends, Mike Binder, revealed that the tribute, which was described as a night filled with laughter and memories of Saget, is heading to the streamer the first week of June. Netflix's latest price hikes in the U.S. are starting to come into effect. Subscribers may have recently been contacted by the company, alerting them that the price of their plan will change starting with their next billing cycle. A Netflix spokesperson told The Verge that the price increases are rolling out to existing subscribers, quote, over weeks, unquote, adding that some subscribers may have already been notified and seen the changes applied. There is even more bad news. Well, potential bad news for those of us who are outside of the countries it's being tested in. But potential, it's still, you know, something that could happen. On March 16th, Netflix said it was testing a new feature in Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru that would allow primary account holders to add up to two users outside their households for a small fee. Like past supposed crackdowns on password sharing, it's not clear whether this new fee feature will be rolled out worldwide. Just some teeny tiny news from other streaming services. Let's start with Hulu. Former Good Girls star Mae Whitman has been tapped as the female lead in Up Here, Hulu's musical romantic comedy series from Tick Tick Boom and Dear Evan Hansen writer Stephen Levinson. The Carmichael shows Danielle Sanchez-Witzel, Hamilton director Thomas Kale, and the Frozen and WandaVision songwriting duo of Kristen Anderson-Lopez and Robert Lopez. Up Here is set in New York City in the waning days of 1999. It follows the extraordinary story of one ordinary couple, Lindsay and Miguel, as they fall in love and discover that the single greatest obstacle to finding happiness together might just be themselves. 
and the treacherous world of memories, obsessions, fears, and fantasies that lives inside their heads. Production on the show, which has an eight-episode straight-to-series order, is set to begin this summer in New York. I'm actually very intrigued by this series. It seems like a rock star lineup for a musical, so it should be very, very good. On to HBO Max. HBO Max is rolling out its very own shuffle button for desktop. Rather than working like a play something button, HBO Max's new feature will shuffle episodes. So if you know you're in the mood to watch Friends or South Park but don't know where to start, the button will do the work for you. Currently, the shuffle feature is available for 45 series, meaning you have 45 options for mindless streaming next time you're having trouble finding something to watch. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening in. And another big thank you to everyone that bitched and moaned and cried tears of joy with me during the Oscars live gramming without actually going live because I pee too much for that kind of stress. That's a three hour long program, man. No. If you'd like to follow along with Future Madness, the pod's Instagram is at NCQH podcast and my personal Instagram is at L-E-A-A underscore M-A-R-Z. And my TikTok is at L-E-A-M-A-R-Z-Z. Today, I'd like to spotlight the Scleroderma Research Foundation. Earlier, I mentioned the tribute night at the Comedy Store for Bob Saget. Well, not only did that night celebrate Saget's life, but it also served as a fundraiser for Scleroderma Research Foundation, an organization Bob poured his time, effort, and money into for decades after his sister passed from the disease in 1994. Scleroderma, also known as systemic sclerosis, is a group of rare diseases that involve the hardening and tightening of the skin. It may also cause problems in the blood vessels, internal organs, and digestive tract. The mission of the Scleroderma Research Foundation, or SRF, is to fund and facilitate the most promising, high-quality research aimed at improved therapies and ultimately a cure for scleroderma. On their website, srfcure.org, you can learn more about SRF's research and the Scientific Advisory Board, participate in research, read stories relevant to the foundation, and of course, the website offers ways to donate if you are capable and comfortable doing so. Until next time, stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong. (music) 